What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the Mental Dive Podcast, where we talk anything and everything sports psychology and mental performance. I'm your host, Taylor Staden. Wow, what a guest I have in store for everybody today. Wow. You know, as I was going through, kind of trying to think of what I'm going to say for this introduction, um, I was looking through the page and... I mean, it would probably take me the length of the typical podcast to cover all that she has accomplished. She being Nora Ratty. Nora, to start off, is a phenomenal ice hockey goaltender. Uh, Reigning from Finland, she spent four years at the University of Minnesota, won two NCAA championships. Uh, Throughout the course of her career, she's won two Olympic bronzes, Four world championship bronze, one world championship silver, two championships in the Russian Women's League, uh, three championships in Finland. But you know what I found most inspiring about Nora's story was not that she was so decorated um, in tangible rewards, but that she was actually the second ever woman to play professional hockey in Finland, only behind Canadian superstar and legend Haley Wickenizer. And so from a standpoint of of somebody who shows other, you know, young uh, female hockey players and shows a lot of women out there that they can do these types of things, that is what I find most amazing about Nora's story. So during the podcast, me and Nora talk about her experiences playing in both women's and men's pro hockey. Uh, we kind of contrast their, their likeness and their differences. We talk about you know growing up playing hockey for her and how she really got into it, as well as we talk about how he, she is helping grow the game internationally. So I hope everyone really enjoys the podcast nonetheless, because I know for sure that this was a very inspiring story for me to hear, and I couldn't be more pleased and honored for Nora to take the time to call my podcast. But without further ado, let's get into the dive. So Nora, how are you doing today? Appreciate you coming on the dive. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing good, even if the times are pretty tough right now. But hopefully things get better here soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess that's a, that's a good place to start. How have you been doing lately with everything going on? And how have you been trying to stay productive? I think me and my family, we stay pretty busy. I mean, first we're like, geez, there's not going to be coaching for a while not being on the ice for a while but somehow five weeks have passed pretty fast so we stay busy we wake up early our puppy gets us up at 7 a.m and eat some breakfast do some work go work out and it's already afternoon do some more work and watch a movie and go to sleep so days are pretty same but um we keep busy which is good oh yeah right on no it's funny you say that because i've felt that a uh, time has passed by pretty quick and I feel like it's really just about trying to find a new routine as well like you know like we could we could sit here and we could be upset about everything going on but at the same time it provides a lot of opportunity for us to focus on other things too so I feel like trying to develop a routine is is really key to staying productive and trying to make the most out of the situation yeah I think that's like routine has been huge for us I mean we try to create a schedule and then stick to it not just lay in bed late and uh, watch TV all day. So we started some house projects and 
certain other work projects online. So I think routine is, is huge to kind of stay sane and stay productive. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And so uh, when I start the podcast, I like to always go back and kind of ask, you know, how did you get involved in hockey? You know, like what made you so passionate that you decided to put in the hours and hours and endless hours of work to get to a high level? Yeah, so my dad coached my brother's team. My brother's three years older than me, and I'm from Finland. So me and my mom would always go watch my brother's game, that my games that my dad coached. And I was had a lot of energy as a kid, and I just didn't want to watch him play. So I asked my mom, I think I was four years old. I was like, hey, mom, I want to go to a hockey school too. And then still on that road 26 years later. So <laughs> It's been a long journey, but I think I always had that passion to kind of kind of play team sports and fast-paced uh, sports. So, and always drawing the goaltending. I like to be kind of different than the mass, and goaltending is different. So, that definitely fit me well. Mm-hmm. So, what what do you think really made you want to become a goaltender, then opposed to just want to be different? Because I mean, for me, like I can I wouldn't want to voluntarily uh, throw myself in front of pucks. <laughs> Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's the gear. That I thought the gear was so cool, so I wanted to get goalie gear. And then the other fact that I always told my parents is, like, I like being goalie because I never have to sit on the bench. Obviously, at that point, I didn't know, like, there's a chance that someday I might be a backup goalie and not actually touch the ice. But back then in youth hockey, goalies would always play the whole game. So, so I just wanted to be on the ice all the time. No, for sure. And I, and I feel like you've done a pretty good job at trying to make sure you're not on the bench too much, considering all the uh, accomplishments and the, quite the career you've had. Yeah, for sure. I've been lucky to give an opportunity to start most games, games during my, my, my career. So, um, But I always give hats off all the backup boys. That might be the hardest role on the team. So needs to be a special person to take care of that job. I honestly think there must be like a very unique mindset that that comes with being a backup goaltender because you never want to become too complacent. You always want to make sure that you're ready to go because if you become too comfortable and suddenly there's an injury, you got to step in. Yeah, for sure. You have to be ready all the time and you don't want to let your team down if you're put in. But at the same time, you have to be competitive and you need to want to play. But then also at the same time, you can't show your disappointment or your emotions because you're not playing, but you have to be a good teammate and kind of the one who creates the energy in the locker room and on the bench. So it's definitely a a hard role to be in. And so I I feel like um, another good place to kind of start would be to talk about your transitioning into men's hockey. For context for everybody listening, uh, Nora was the second ever female player to play in Division Two Finland, only behind, behind Haley Wickenizer, and that's an amazing accomplishment. I'm sure uh, just congratulations is long overdue, but congratulations on that. I'd love to just kind of pick your brain about what was that transition like for you? Like, what was the story behind that? How did you get involved? Yeah, I guess it's a long story, and <clears throat> I also got lucky along the way, but when I started hockey in Finland, we had pretty much absolutely no girls hockey. So my only option was to play with boys. So I played uh, with boys growing up almost all the way till the college. In 2009, I started college in University of Minnesota and played there four years. And that was almost the only four years that I played full time with girls. So playing with boys was always normal for me. I almost thought it'd be weird to play girls with girls growing up because I was just so used to being 
surrounded by by young guys um but after college there wasn't really many opportunities to play post-college in women's hockey and there still isn't too many to this day but going back to 2013 um when I got done with college that was the Olympic year so that year I actually stayed in Minnesota to train with my goalie coach Andrew Kent and just focus on the Olympics but when the Olympics were gone uh done in 2014 I was kind of stuck and was like, well, what's next? There's not really a professional league I could go play in. I don't know if I could work from nine to five and then go play at beer league times with a random woman's team and not really have a good league to be in. So then I was like, well, what if I would try to go play men's and kind of find a new challenge in my career? And then pre-Olympics, I was actually practicing with the same uh, men's pro division two team that I ended up signing post Olympics. So I guess me practicing with them helped get into contract and they saw something in me and I was, I guess I proved in practice that I could play at that level. So then post Olympics, the head coach of that team called me and they wanted to offer a contract for the 14, 15 season. And first I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do it because all the media pressure and kind of like mm-hmm. the social media pressure and like the audience, like half the people will want me to fail and then half the people want me to succeed. And kind of you're put in the spotlight when you do something like that. But um, I decide kind of as a challenge and opportunity to prove myself and then prove people that the, especially in goaltending gender really doesn't matter. It's, just the skill you have and the skill set and the mindset you have and and even as a female I was able to play play in that league Mm -hmm. no absolutely and that's such an incredible opportunity too I mean I feel like even just from the perspective of helping create those like kind of cultural shifts and helping break stigma around you know a woman's ability to play um in in a men's league uh because ultimately you know like you said goaltending I mean, it's really, really all about like how well you can stop a puck. It doesn't matter, you know, your gender or, or anything like that. And you mentioned pressures though from the media. What was that experience kind of like for you in terms of maybe the pressure from the social media and, you know, people kind of having those different kind of wants and expectations for you? How do you kind of manage those? Yeah, it was definitely new. I mean, um, six years ago social media wasn't as big as it is to this day but I was kind of getting started where people started following athletes on the social media I think that's the time I started like Twitter and Instagram too and it was definitely a lot of pressure um I mean I understand me playing with guys might be especially for middle-aged men it might be a tough spot and there's a lot of guys that probably want to play at that level but never was given the opportunity and now there's this lady or female playing in that league so for some people actually it might be a tough tough spot that I'm actually even trying to do it and then on social media at all the females like yeah you go girl like show them guys that you can do it so a lot of positives a lot of negatives came and of course when you're trying to make history you're in the media spotlight and then some of the media people kind of they already put out the word like there's no way she can keep up with the guys. And then there's how the media saying like, I'm sure she'll succeed. And kind of everyone's building that hype through the summer. 
around me and now the first time like I'm really in the spotlight and people in Finland actually know my name and who I am so uh, kind of with me too as like how to handle kind of being a public figure in Finland too and the publicity and going to a shopping mall and people actually knowing your face so that was definitely something new but um, in the end when you step on the ice you only have that one focus and that's to give your team a chance to win and at that time when you start playing you kind of forget all the social media and media and what people are saying behind your back so um that's kind of my my safe place is on my crease I don't really care at that point I don't really care what people think about me Mm -hmm. no and I mean as well like how did you kind of like then like what what were your personal expectations for yourself because you talked a lot about you know, the expectations of others, did those maybe influence how you evaluate your performance or did you have a kind of concrete idea of, you know, what success would and would not look like for you uh, as you transitioned? Yeah, for sure. I signed the contract, I think it was like end of March and 14. And I don't think I played my first game till that September or October. So there was a long time to prepare for the season. And I had a really good summer. I skated with even NHL guys that summer, and I could easily keep up with them in the practice. So that built a lot of confidence going in because, I mean, I was facing shots with, like, TJ Oshie and Zach Barisi and did fine with them. Okay, half the time they were probably playing shinies, and I was going full speed. But still, like, facing shots from those guys just gave me a lot of confidence that I can I can play in that league um, and do well. And then – but there was also a lot of doubt – because all the things that people were saying online or social media that I almost started doubting myself sometimes. And then whenever I kind of had a bad day in practice, it was like, well, can I actually do this or uh, can I do this? So sometimes there was doubt, but a lot of times I was really confident going into the season. And to me, I get a lot of energy when people want me to fail or or they doubt me. So uh, I love proving people wrong. Mm-hmm. use it as fuel I, I think it's a great way for you to really channel all these uh all these negative uh naysayers that are out there because I mean ultimately you can't control them you know you're always going to have haters and you're always going to have people who you know want you to fail ultimately it's really just comes from stigma and jealousy and a, a couple other things but you know if you can use that as kind of fuel to ch- to improve your performance then I mean bring it on yeah for sure I I love when you say like kind of control the things you can control because that's one of the models I use in my life because in the end all I can control is myself and how I play on the ice and how I react to different situations and what people talk about me or or say about me is it's it's not in my control so in the end I thought I did a really good job with just focus on the the task and and doing my best on the ice. Mm-hmm. And as well, so since you've played at a high level in, in both women's hockey and, and men's hockey, what do you what do you see similar between the two, and what do you see as different, or is there, if there's any differences at all? Yeah, um, I think well, obviously the biggest difference is like the physical aspect. I mean, women's hockey is really physical on this day, but we on the women's side we can't body check, so there's there's a big difference on how to get get players off puck. I mean, men's hockey, someone starts driving to the net, you just go body to body and body check off off the puck. But kind of women's hockey, like the only way you can get the puck off is almost like using your stick. 
So I feel like there's too many slashes and hooks and trips on the woman's side because you can't really go body on body. I mean, it's more allowed now where if you're going the the same way, you can you can kind of pump people out of the puck, but still. I don't know if bringing in the body check will help on the woman's side. Um, and I mean, the truth is women will never be as strong as the, the male. So just like the speed and the shooting is a little slower on the woman's side. But then I think where females might be ahead of the male, male is just being smart on the ice and kind of positioning on the ice. And what I've noticed, uh, women's hockey players follow the systems a lot better than men. I feel like women's hockey is a lot more structured and organized and strategic compared to men. So I think men rely on their skill a lot more than, than women. And I feel like it would, it would almost have to be more um, skill-based and strategic-based too with the women's side, considering there's no body checking. Because, you know, if you can't, like you said, if you can't body check someone off the puck without getting a penalty – you have to be a lot smarter with, you know, how you position your body, you know, how you get in front of the other skaters and lift sticks without, you know, it being a slash or a hook. So I feel like it's a lot more technical in that sense. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's for sure a lot more structured and a lot more technical. And talking about from like goaltending's point of view is guys are a lot like you, you cross the blue line, you shoot the puck to the net, you crash the net. So it's really straightforward up and down. Whereas women, they really want to find those backdoor passes on like the third third wave and or go to the corners and attack from there. It's not as straightforward as the guys are. So uh, on the men's side, like when they cross the blue line, it's like, okay, I'm aggressive on the shot because most likely there's no backdoor plays. But then on the women's side, I have to be more patient because I know there's going to be a lot of backdoor plays and a lot of backdoor passes. The thing is too, like, I think like one of the reasons why people tend to gravitate more towards the male game uh, is because there is body checking and, you know, pe- people enjoy like, kind of like that, that violence, you know? Um, and so I feel like really ultimately it comes down to in terms of, you know, which you'd kind of rather watch if you had to choose, you know, what do you value? If you really value kind of like the more physical aspects, then you're more likely to gravitate towards the male game. But if you enjoy more structured play and, and systems and whatnot, then maybe the female game would be something that would be more appealing yeah for sure it would be interesting to see kind of numbers like taking an nhl team and asking all the people on the stands like why are you here like what's drawing you in the game is it is it the physical aspect and the fights and the body checks or is it the tactical side because to being honest like if there's ten thousand people on the stands like how many of those people like actually you know the nicky picky technical side of the game and all the systems and and everything that goes into it like more of the 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 coaching side so and i'm pretty sure that there's a big number of people that that don't even know all the rules of hockey but they're there because the enter entertainment Mm -hmm. so and talking to kind of women's hockey fans and they always say they love women's hockey because it's it's so so tactical like the tactics play play such a big role and those people don't really care about the physical aspect aspect all the fights or the open open nice body hits mm-hmm. yeah and I guess kind of transitioning a bit you know you've had an incredible opportunity to be able to represent your country at the national stage um, both in the world championships and the olympics what is it like representing your country at the biggest stage and what kind of additional expectations and pressures do you maybe feel when competing for team finland 
yeah, I mean, it's an incredible honor. And I never thought when I was a young kid that I would actually play in four old big games. So it's been, every one of them has been unique and unbelievable experience playing for my home country and actually winning two medals has been surreal. But um, it also comes in with a lot of pressure. Um, it's not like you play a full hockey season, you hit the playoffs and you play best of five or best of seven series where, where there's room for failure. Like you might have one bad game, but then you can bounce back and come on the next day and still your season's still alive. But you play in the Olympics and you hit the playoff scene in quarterfinals, it's one and done. So especially that quarterfinal game, semifinal and going to the medal rounds, if you ever make it that far, it's a tremendous amount of pressure on goalies because you absolutely have no room for failure or anyone's going to be pointing fingers at you because mm -hmm. it's one and done. So you just can't afford to have a bad game on that day or you let your team down and the whole country down because it's the Olympics. So everyone's going to be watching you. Yeah, for sure. And so how did you kind of prep for those really big moments? Did you try to stick to the same routine as you usually did? Did you do something maybe different because it was kind of like a, a bigger stage? Like what was that experience like for you in terms of preparing and trying to feel more confident? Mm, yeah, I was uh, 16 years old when I played my first Olympics and I actually got the start in the bronze medal game against USA. And to being honest, I was just clueless what to do, how to prepare, um, how to prepare physically and mentally. I think I was just trying to do too much. I was over-focused. I was overwhelmed. I didn't even know how to breathe. I didn't know how to handle the pressure. But given I was 16, so I think sometimes I'm pretty <laughs> too tough on myself. Like, Maybe, I'm yeah. why I didn't play so well. But, yeah, I was way too young to play at that stage. But then going to Vancouver, being 21-year-old, and then – 14 and 18, and especially 18, I actually knew what I'm doing. So just knowing when you go in the big tournament like that, when the game start, there's not, there's not anything you can do to get better anymore. So then it's all about your mindset, staying positive, ignoring the outside noise, just focus on yourself. Um, there's going to be a lot of things that don't go your way along the way, but you just can't can't let that affect you and then just for me a bit is just finding that pre-game uh routine and not getting off that routine and trying to do too much so for me it's just staying loose doing my pre-game exercises doing my visualization getting my brain ready and then um when I don't have to think about my preparation too much I know I'm gonna be nice and relaxed come the game time so for me it's just all about having fun on the game day and kind of preparing my mind and I feel like that's when my body will will follow too and talking about kind of how I handle the pressure I think to me pressure is a privilege um, you think not many people get a chance to play in the Olympics and actually be in the spotlight so I see it that I've done some things right and I'm privileged to be in that spot if someone's trying to put pressure on me. But in the end, no one else can put pressure on me than myself. So usually I'm pretty good at not, not worrying about those big games and failing. I see it more as an opportunity to, to play well. I love that. I love that uh, analogy you used as pressure being uh, a privilege. That's something that I preach to a lot of the athletes I work with and saying that like, with pressure pressure is one is all about how you interpret your environment so it comes down to your mindset 
And two, pressure means that you and, and oftentimes other people have instilled trust in you. So this is, these are the moments that you can really grow from. And, and building on top of that, what, what you just mentioned about, you know, you're not worried about failing, you know, if you're kind of trying to, you know, learn and, and grow from this, you know, if we're not ever pressured, then we're never going to have the opportunity to grow. Because when you come too comfortable, you come very complacent. And then the last thing you want to become as an athlete or any, anything you do really is complacent. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, especially on the woman's side, because I do a full-time goalie coaching too, and I've noticed there's a lot of girls that have a big fear of failure. So it's almost to the point where like their performance anxiety is so big that once they hit that spot, like when they're in the spotlight, they just don't know how to handle it because they're just so afraid of failing. So they almost kind of like go in their shelf and they're so timid and so anxious to play that everything else falls apart whereas I'm like I've never experienced that so sometimes I like confuse on how to actually help my athletes when they feel that way but then I feel like that's when you come back to just like having that routine and being mentally ready for it and kind of seeing it more as an opportunity to succeed I feel like your desire to succeed needs to be bigger than your fear of failure if that makes sense no, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, failure is outside of our control. And it's also dependent on what we consider to be a failure and whatnot. So if we're going to evaluate our performance based off of if we got the win or not, how many goals we scored, ultimately, we can't control all those things. And at the same time, they don't really give a detailed representation of how well you actually played. You know, I've worked with teams where the goalies got two shots on net and they got a shutout. Does that mean they played well? No, not really necessarily at all. Whereas at the same time, you know, if you just look at a scorecard and you see a player got two goals, but one of the goals is an empty net and the other one went off someone's shin pad, you know, did they necessarily play well? So I feel like we have to try to look for a lot more controllable factors to evaluate our performance. So that way we don't feel out as, as out of control of, you know, whether we did well or not. Yeah, for sure. And I think on this day, like, we're too focused on stats, especially on the goaltending side. We're so focused on goals against average and the save person that's just like, those are really dependent on the team you play for too. So it's like, you can't really use those numbers to evaluate yourself and how you played. I've had so many goalies come to me like, oh, I played really bad because I let in five goals. And then I'm like, well, let's take a look at a video and the goals and the saves you made. And then after we've done that, they're actually like, okay, I think I actually played pretty well. So it's not like sometimes you might let in a one goal and, and actually not play great. And sometimes you might let in five goals and, and you still played well. So, so I feel like we're too focused on numbers. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I think that's a really good example. I was looking over, when I was looking over your, your stats, I noticed you've had the opportunity to play, you know, all across the world, in USA, Finland, China, et cetera. What has this experience been like for you from a cultural perspective? You know, what are some of the different nuances and kind of mannerisms that you've learned as you travel the world? I mean, it's been huge. Um, I live full time in Finland, U.S., um, China, and then uh, playing in Canadian Lake and Russian Lake, too. So those are like five big cultures in this world. I mean, Finland's tiny compared to those other countries, <laughs> but like there's some big different cultures like Asia, Russia, U.S., Canada, and Finland are all totally different. So I met a lot of people along the way, and I've learned so many things about different cultures. And I feel like um, 
not all the Americans and not all the Finns are like this, but like they're so stuck in their own way and that they can't see like across the border and how, how other people do things. So traveling around the world and learning those different cultures have really opened my eyes that there's more ways to live this life than just the Western style or, or the American style or the Finnish style. So um, there's a lot of people in this world and, and a lot of different opinions and views on how we should live this life or what we should think about, think about this life. So I've seen, I've, I'm very glad I met so many people and cultures along the way because it's, it's taught me a lot about life. Sometimes some of the most productive things you could, you could do for yourself is to be unproductive for a day because sometimes you just need a break. Cause if you, if you just go, 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 nonstop, nonstop, kind of go through the motions and you're more likely to get, to be burnt out. And that's obviously not some a point where you want to get to. So I feel like having those kind of off days and being able to reset and just kind of like do your own thing and just chill out. is It's so key to be able to reach that peak potential, both physically and mentally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always do one day a week when there's nothing hockey involved. Like I don't want to talk about hockey. I don't want to see hockey. I don't want to do training. I don't want to see a hockey rink, like no hockey for one day. And I feel like that really helps reset my mind. And then on the next day, when I go back to hockey, I actually, um, enjoy it again and I feel like kids these days like they're so stuck training every day like I need to beat my competition like I need to train 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 hockey 12 12 months a year never a break from hockey because they need to make the A team or they need to make make the high school team that again it's it's quantity over quality where kids are just burned out and going through the motions mm-hmm. and even from uh an athleticism perspective, playing hockey 12 months a year is really bad for your overall athleticism. It's really important to explore other sports because those other sports can help teach you, you know, different, different fundamental movement skills. And, you know, as well as kind of like we touched on earlier, avoid that burnout, you know, being able to explore different interests and just being able to enjoy it opposed to just being hockey, 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 because as I reflect back, you know, I've played hockey my whole life and I love and I don't regret it. However, I wish I would have explored more sports when I was younger because I feel like I would have become a better athlete at the end of the day. Yeah, that's actually something I look back and I'm very thankful that I pretty much played every sport growing up. I played soccer, golf. Um, we have the, the floorball in Finland. Like I tried everything and I played organized on the soccer team and the golf team. And like I was just playing a bunch of different sports growing up. Like I wasn't thinking about during the summer – I don't think I spent a second thinking about playing hockey. Like our hockey season in Finland ended about mid-May and then I would throw my gear in the closet for three months and then I would get back to it in August. And it was like the best thing ever, like after summer taking your gear out of the closet and getting back to the ice. But um, sometimes I feel like because kids are training so much and on the ice so much, they start taking playing for granted. So I think mm-hmm. – these times that we are living now is almost a blessing in disgust where like kids are forced to take a break and be like, okay, like hockey might be taken away from me someday. So I need, I can't take it for granted. For myself personally, uh, I've never, I always find it tough to, to take the time to just read, read for enjoyment and something I've always wanted to do, but I just never get around to it. But now since I have all this extra time in my hands, you know, I've, I've almost read two novels now and I've really enjoyed it. And, and as, and even just like from a mental health perspective, 
just being able to read a book and being away from everything going on has been so therapeutic and just allowing me to disconnect and kind of like just get away from everything going on. It's, I think it's been huge personally for me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a big reader, but something I've tried to do during this time is kind of like, um, I think I do it pretty well is like getting out of my comfort zone. So maybe once a day mm -hmm. I do something that is not comfortable, comfortable for me. So I kind of get my out of my comfort zone and try to try to learn something new. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I feel like that as well. It just it allows you to explore maybe some different interests, right? You know, try new things, you know, something you may have not tried before. And you know what, next thing you know, you have a new favorite hobby. Like it could really lead to some really valuable things that, you know, at the end of the day can help you just as you move forward and, you know, eventually transition out of hockey. Yeah, for sure. I think during this time you can really um, find those new things. And then maybe if you find a new hobby or something you enjoy doing that will create a new balance between hockey and your office life too. And mm -hmm. maybe that's something like when you get home that will help you take your mind off hockey too, because you can't, you can't get too stuck on training and, and just training and think about hockey all the time. You have to kind of let your mind mind off too and do other things. Mm -hmm. No, I, I completely agree. So what are some things you think need to happen for the women's game to get the proper recognition it deserves? in terms of just growing the game and, you know, through the media and just uh, being able to have a sustainable league. Yeah. I mean, we're living really interesting times in women's hockey right now. And especially since the Canadian women's hockey league folded and we created the professional women's hockey player association that is trying to create the sustainable league. Uh, we were making some good strides, but now with the pandemic, everything kind of stopped and, we don't really know what the future will hold, but I think we've been pretty vocal that we would like to get the NHL involvement because they have the infrastructure in place and they have the resources in place. And it's not like we're asking for millions of dollars in a year. We are just asking for a livable salary, salary, just simple benefits such as like healthcare, healthcare and the injury uh, prevention for players that, that no leak in the world really can provide right now. I mean, I think as of right now, Russia has the most well put together league, but they have really strict import rules. So as a player, it's hard to go and play there. Mm. <clears throat> so then just getting, getting that help from, from the men's side to start so that we can put, actually put the best product on the ice. And I feel like when we put the best product on the ice where players don't have to worry about working from nine to five and then, going practicing at beer league times twice a week where we could actually train full time too and during the day and not worry about uh, how to pay the bills on the side of playing would be huge because that means the fans involved, you get the ticket sales up, you get the ticket sales, the sponsorships are going to come in. Maybe in a couple of years, you're actually going to be self-sustainable. But I think as of right now, we just need that financial help to get started because it's not going to be cheap to start like something like that. And I think we're going to right direction and um, doing what's best for the women's hockey. And I don't know if it's going to happen next season or in two years or when it's going to happen, but I'm really hoping that um, I'm going to see it during my playing career at least. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of onus as well is on the mainstream media outlets to properly market. Uh, the the women's hockey because like if you I remember this past year there was um there's a championship game I think it was actually Canada Finland I don't know Canada USA it was it was a gold medal game 
And the highlights they showed on TSN were just from a camera. It looked like it was just planted on the wall and like the upper stands. You couldn't even see what was going on. So, I mean, like, if you don't give the game the opportunity to shine, how do you ever expect people to, to see the kind of quality products being put on the ice? Yeah, for sure. We always hope for more media exposure because there's a lot of neat stories behind us players. And I feel like the product is entertained. And um, if media doesn't take it seriously, like, why won't fans take it seriously? And I'm not, like, generalizing the media. There are so many reporters and media outlets that, that put – absolutely a lot of effort in our sports and are there to help us but um just hoping for more media exposure in general in women's sport i know what are the stats it's almost like 90 percent are male sports and 10 percent are female sport i might be totally wrong but pretty much something like that so so just in general like increasing that awareness among people that that females also can be really good athletes and and it can be really entertaining uh, so Nora, again, I really appreciate you taking the time today. I think we've had a fantastic conversation and, you know, I've learned a lot about you today as well. You know, a lot of really, you have a really interesting story. And um, I think we've been able to hopefully spread some more messages about um, everything uh, about your career and, and what you're up to. And in saying that now, yeah. uh, do you have any key messages that maybe you'd want to spread to any, maybe any female listeners who are listening maybe they want to become a professional goaltender and what kind of path to take um I would just say focus on the process not the outcome I mean set your goals high but don't focus on your high goal that much focus on the little things that will take you there step by step like if you set your goal you want to play in the Olympics forget forget that sentence and then start writing out things that will actually take you there so create a a detailed plan that has little steps on how will how how those steps will take you to your to your big goal and then just ignore outside noise I know I know it's more of a normal now that females play hockey but there's going to be a lot of people that doubt you on the doubt you on the way so just ignore ignore the noise and keep doing what you're doing and good things will happen again I really appreciate taking the time and um you have a great great rest of your day yeah no problem thanks for having me so that ends it for episode 26 of the Mental Dive podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know what you thought. Uh, my Instagram and Twitter is at Taylor Staden. DMs are open. Feel free to shoot me a message anytime. And if you'd be interested in maybe working together or learning more about what I'm doing, um, you reach out on social media. Check out my social media. I post content revolving around the podcast as well as other things, you know, all sports psychology and mental performance. Um, but however, if you are a Facebook user, I have recently started up a Facebook page for myself where you can find me under State and Mental Performance. Everybody, have a good rest of your day. As always, I do appreciate everyone taking the time to listen to my podcast and the guests I have on, and I hope you take something away from each and every one. See you later, everybody. Bye.